This morning, we're going to look at this title this morning for just a few minutes. He is risen. And what does that mean to you? He is risen. What does that mean to you? Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. And we're going to see today this is not just a story about something that happened 2,000 years ago that's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do to you. And it get, there's opportunity to you this morning and you don't want to miss out on it. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. If you've got that, Matthew 28, please stand for the reading of the word this morning. Hallelujah. It says in verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they quickly departed from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee. And there shall they see me. Hallelujah. This morning you can know this. He is risen. Hallelujah. And what does it mean to you? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this glorious news, God. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you are risen. And, God, you are available to us. Lord, you didn't just die for our sins. But, Lord, you have raised so that we know that we can put our faith and confidence in you. Lord, Holy Spirit, speak this morning. Through your mighty power, anoint, Lord, and draw, Lord. This morning, this altar would be filled, Lord, with those that would call upon you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. He is risen. Hallelujah. This morning. What a beautiful example this morning when the sun came up. That we have the knowledge that He is risen. When this was written, though, when the verses here in verse 1 happened, it was anything but a glorious morning. If you were to look at what was going on in the, in, in, with the disciples and those that were following Jesus, they hadn't listened very well. We have that problem sometimes, don't we? We don't listen very well. You ever tell your kids something and they fall right into it and have the same thing you told them not to do and make a mistake? And they say, I didn't hear you. And you say, well, I told you. If they'd have just listened. Sometimes we don't listen. I was bad for that. I know all about that. But when this scripture here was written, the verses right before that, they had just put in Jesus Christ in a tomb. His disciples had watched, and some of them from a great distance or so far away no one could see them, but some of them were standing there, and they watched the Savior of the world, the one that they just knew was the Christ. They were convinced that He was the one that God had sent, and He was, and he, they put Him, and they expected what they had expected Him to do. They weren't listening. 
Because what they expected him to do was to take a throne, to throw the Roman government off the throne and was going to take the throne and they were going to be his right-hand men. They were looking for promotion. But they weren't expecting what was going on. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't tell them because he told them over and over. They just didn't listen. And in fact, they'd watch him go through the most grotesque, the most painful, the most unbelievable uh, torture that any man had ever went through before. In fact, if you see many times we get these beautiful pictures of Jesus on a cross and he's sitting there and he's all clean and, and everything looks and yes, he's the Savior and yes, he's dying there. But we see him and it doesn't look like it's that bad. But if you would have seen him, I tell you what, you would have never recognized him. He wasn't recognizable. I, I read a, 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 an author, it was Bill Burkett wrote a, a book talking about the rapture. Not the rapture. That's coming soon. But it was talking about the crucifixion of Christ. And he was talking about the, the, the torture that they put them through. We don't recognize that sometimes. He said that there was, they would hang you. And, they would, and a lot of times your hands was raised out to your sides. And so you were stretched out to where your arms was already pretty much stretched out of socket. And then there would be a spike that would be between your legs. And, and whenever you would, you, to be able to breathe, they would put you in a position so that you would have to pull yourself up with all your might. Now, your arms are already out of socket. And so you would have to pull yourself up to get a breath because your lungs would be collapsed. And when your arms got so, so tired and your arms were cramping because they were out of socket and you was trying to hold your body weight up, but when you fell, not only was your lungs collapsed, but you were riding on that spike, which was digging into your flesh and this was an up and down process to where you were going from agony to agony so that you actually had rigor mortis setting up in your body while you were still alive that was the most incredible thing in the world and yet why did he do it was it because he deserved it was it because that it was something that he had done no he did that because of me he did that because of you. He said, I will take your prize. I will endure that pain so that you don't have to do it. And he nailed your sins. Listen, you may not accept him, but I want you to know from the outset today, he nailed your sins to that tree too. If all you do is accept him, then you too are able to receive what he did by paying your price. He nailed your sin. The question is, will you receive him? So they, when, when he took his last breath and he died and gave up the ghost we see that they took him off that cross cross it was late at night and so joseph had asked could we have his body a man with a lot of wealth he put him in his tomb that had never been used before they had to seal the door and lock it up because it was too late now it went overnight it was the sabbath they had to get him in there and so overnight where do we find the disciples where are they at this easter morning when the sun is coming up where are they? The Sabbath was the day before. Now they're waiting for the next day. They've been hi they're hiding behind closed doors. They're hiding, and every sound they hear outside, I can see them peeking through the blinds to see, is it the Roman government coming after us next? They were fearful. Why? Because they hadn't been listening to what Christ said he was going to do. But we see that as, as many times as you, if you look around in churches today, you'll see the women's the one who was coming through. When the men were sitting there fearful, some of the women was, was actually concerned enough. They thought, I don't care. We follow him and we're going to finish the job. Oh, our heart's broken. Our heart's broken because we know he's the Christ. And so they took spices early in the morning and they were going even before daylight. And they had no, you know, here's the question that doesn't answer in scripture. How did they know, how were they going to get this door open? 
because it was an amazing thing. They had a, if you read how it works, there was a, the door is pinned with a, with a keystone that holds it and it's very heavy. And when they remove that keystone and that door falls into place and, and, and with a thud goes across that door, you ain't going to open it. Now, not only were they not going to open it, but the Jews knew that Jesus prophesied. They listened better than his disciples did. They knew that he was said that he was going to raise in three days. So they went and told Pilate and said, Now listen, you, this man, this, this guy, this evil guy here, he's predicted he's going to raise. You can't let that happen. They knew it was going to be a problem if he come up missing. So they had some of his strongest Roman guards standing guard. And probably the seal of the governor was on that door. And anybody that moves and touches that door, you're in trouble. That's what's going on this morning. But something happened in the middle of the night when the dawn started raising. It says, first of all, we see here that there's five things today that he did that you can count on today. Number one, because he died, because he has risen this morning, he, you can count on he will fulfill his word, his every word. We see in Luke 24, 6 through 8, this is Luke's account of this, of what the angel said to them. He said, he is not here but is risen, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Now they remember. They now remembered. They remembered that he had prophesied this. They remembered that he had said this. Let me tell you something. That is an amazing thing that when Christ came and lived his life and died on that cross and rose again, Jesus fulfilled over 300 specific prophecies of who the Messiah was going to be and what he would do. It, 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 is, it is incredible. It is unfathomable to look at the amount of things that he prophes that was prophesied. You, one person may have accidentally done one or two, but nobody could have done them all. God was saying, without a shadow of a doubt, this is my son. This is the Messiah that I've sent. Hallelujah. But he's not dead now. He's alive. I, 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 was, I was reading a, a story that Michelangelo, if you know him, if you've been maybe to, I got to go to the Sistine Chapel and see this beautiful painting across the entire ceiling that he did. Incredible work. Massive. Huge work that he did. But I read that he uh, um, on one occasion got aggravated at one of the other our artists that uh, that did in a, that was doing paintings, and he kind of turned on him and kind of kind of let him have it a little bit. He said, "Why do you keep filling galleries with endless pictures of Jesus Christ on the cross in his weakest moment?" Like that's the way he ended it all. That's, that's it. That's, that's the way it was. He died in weakness. This is where he still is. This is what his outcome was. He said, that's not where he's at. He said, but you, you, instead of filling them with where he's at, it says, but it says Christ is alive. He said the stone has been rolled away and he rules and reigns and triumphs. That's where he is right now. Oh, hallelujah. He is risen. Hallelujah. He fulfilled the word that said he was risen. We don't have to worry about is he still in that grave today. Hallelujah. You can go and look at that grave. You can go visit where he's supposed to have been laid. And you're going to find one thing for sure. It's not full anymore. It's empty. Do you know I hadn't read this before? Did you know Abraham Lincoln in 1901, some reason, I didn't find out why, they got concerned that his body wasn't still in his casket. They dug him up. They exhumed his casket and opened it to just make sure that he was still in there. 
Let me tell you something. You can go open that tomb all day long, and here's one thing you're going to find. It's got crickets in it. It's dust anymore, but his body is not there anymore. He rose again on the third day. Hallelujah. So we see that he has fulfilled his promises. He fulfilled 300 prophecies. He fulfilled everything that he said he would do. So today, what promises is he making to you in your life? Today, we have the promise that he says, I'll save those who call upon my name. He's also promised to work everything for his children's good. Also, he's promised today that he uh, uh, will come again. He will come again. You see, if we look throughout history, if you look at the word of God, 120 years, God gave the word that he was going to bring judgment. And Noah sat there and prophesied that and preached that for 120 years. And they forgot it. They didn't listen to it until the rains came down. Then all of a sudden, they said, they remembered what he said. And they said, it's true, it's true, but it's too late. We see that the disciples at least three different times, in fact, the night he was getting ready to go to the cross, he told them one more time, I'm getting ready to be taken by evil men. I'm getting ready to be crucified, and I'm going to be raised again. And three, They didn't hear him. They didn't pay attention to what he said. He's promised he'll come again. We looked at this verse last week in John 14, 2 and 3. What does he say about coming again? He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. That's what he desires. He's promised that he's not just going to go to the Father after you come off that cross after 40 days. But he's promised that he's coming again. But if you look at the world around us, no one's paying attention. We're forgetting just like everybody else has throughout history until it's going to be too late. We see that he's coming. And let me tell you something else. He also is coming soon. He tells us the last thing. You look, you turn to your last chapter in the Bible. You turn over the last page and turn back at the one of the last verses. And here's what he says in Revelation 22:20. He's trying to make sure you get the point. You read the whole thing, you get to the end. Here's what he wants you to remember. He which testifieth in Revelation 22:20, he which testifieth these things. Who's that talking about? Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. Surely. I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. He's coming again. And just because he hasn't came today, just because he didn't come yesterday, which we don't know that he won't come today, this could want a better day for him to come than on Easter Sunday. Amen. Wouldn't that be the greatest day? So we see that he, we, because of his resurrection, he will, he's fulfilled every word, and he'll continue fulfilling his word in your life today. You know that? He's got promises to you. Also, we can have the assurance that he will conquer your greatest enemy. What is your greatest enemy? Death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. He's conquered it. Every one of us, at different times, you may face that fear of death. Verse 2 tells us, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. I love that part right there. Before I go on, I love that part. Here's the angel uh, that's sitting on this door. What's he doing sitting on the door? God is showing us that that greatest thing that we're fearful of is that grave that we're going to, we have no control. Why are we so fearful of death? 
because we have no control when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. I mean, we can speed it up a little bit, but we don't have control. We can do a lot of things in our life, but it's coming to us. And so we are fearful, but the Lord is sitting there showing us, hey, what you're afraid of, I'm sitting on. I'm over it. I have no boundaries that control me. Look at me. I've already rolled back the door. I've already defeated the very thing that we are fearful of. Amen. Verse 3 says, his countenance, this angel, was like lightning, and his raiment was white as snow. And for fear of him, look at these soldiers, these great, powerful soldiers. And for fear of him, the keepers, these soldiers, did shake and became as dead men. They passed out. They fell on the ground as weak men. And, and I'm sure that the, the, their, their captains would have been pretty disappointed because it was such a dreadful thing what they seen. And verse 5 says, And the angel answered and said unto the woman, uh, uh, women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He died. But he's not here. It goes on in verse 6. Oh, what a glorious verse. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. I don't want you. He didn't want him to walk out there and say, well, maybe we should have looked in the corner. Maybe he just fell off the pedestal. Maybe he was somewhere else. Maybe we should have. You ever done that? You ever lost something and you really didn't look in your bedroom like you should? I, sometimes I'll forget stuff and I'll, and I'll think it's at work and I'll look around the bedroom. No, I must have left it at work. So I'll go back to work and I'll look around. No, it ain't here. Well, I got to go back and look at the house because I thought, well, I didn't really look in the bedroom the way I should. The angel is sitting here saying, don't you walk out of here and try to come back later and say, no, he's probably in there somewhere else. No, you just come here and look. You look at where his napkin that covered his face. You look at the gown that he had on. You look in every corner. You're going to find one thing. He's gone. He's not here anymore. Hallelujah. There is a theory I hadn't heard till a few years ago, and it's called the swoon theory. There's a lot of people that they believe, they start looking through history, they see Jesus really did live. There's a lot of proof of that. Uh, even a lot of non-Christian writers throughout history has talked about this man, Jesus Christ, and all the things that he did. So they've come up with a theory that they believe this is the reason this could have happened. Uh, just like they have a theory that the Red Sea was just really shallow and they walked through with water on their ankles and went across and then the... And then in another season of water, no, that's not the way it went. But we see here they have a swoon theory. They thought, they say that Jesus really was so weak from the loss of blood that he went into a coma. He was still breathing but so shallow because they didn't have an EKG to put him on, because they didn't have something to measure his respirations. They thought he was just passed out. He was barely breathing and no one knew the difference. They put him in a tomb. They shut the door. And after a few hours, he started to revive. He started getting better. And then after a couple of days, he stood up and was able to walk out. Now, let me tell you something. Medical doctors that are not Christians has also looked at this story. And when you get to that part where they said that they took a spear and they stuck it in Jesus' side, and what came out? Blood mixed with water. They said that the only reason that could have happened is if a man's heart ruptured. The only way that that could have happened when they pierced that sack and for water and blood to come out that his heart had ruptured. Why was his heart ruptured? Because of your sin. Because of my sin. Because we know that even the night as he was getting ready to go to the cross, he was in such turmoil that it says that there was sweat was as great drops of blood falling to the ground. He was under turmoil before God because of the sin that he was having to bear. We know that he didn't have the swoon theory. It's not true. He died and the angel was making sure that we knew that. We fear death sometimes. And, and if you don't, you, you're, you're stronger than me. I remember, I remember the moment that I knew what death was and it scared me to death. I, there's a lot of big 
deep uh, theological discussions I had in my mom's kitchen. I remember over here living in Jackson County, a little boy, I, I'm assuming I was about six years old, might have been younger. And somewhere I had understood and figured out what death was. It might have been from watching him kill some hogs or something, I'm not sure. But I finally got a grasp that there's an end. And I remember mom had her back turned to me at the counter and she's doing stuff in the kitchen. And I was playing around in the kitchen and I was like, Mom, and I started asking her, I remember this. And I asked her, Mom, is it true that you die and then you're gone? She sat and tried to give me every answer that a mom could without answering the question. But finally, she came to the point where she had to say, yes, son. And she could tell I was tore up. She said, now you don't have to worry about that. Now you're young and it'll be a long, 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 long time. You don't have to ever worry about that. Just don't worry about it. Don't let that get in your mind. Don't worry about that. But let me tell you something, I did anything but not worry about that. When you come to the realization that this life is fragile, when you come to the realization that there's going to be a day you take the last breath, all of a sudden life has a whole new meaning now. A whole new meaning, and it troubled me for a long time. Until one day, at, a, at an altar, when a sinner came down, I met the Savior who says, Oh, this life is temporary. This isn't your home in the first place. The moment that you step out of this life, you're not going to die. You're going to live forevermore. Because why? You put your faith and confidence in me. We don't have to be fearful anymore. Hallelujah. And so he's in that grave. And on that third and glorious day, the earth began to shake. He said a great earthquake happened. Now, now we know that the earth trembled a few days before. What was the event that happened a few days before and the earth shook? It's when Jesus was hanging on that cross and he was dying and he was taking his last breaths. And we know that the earth in response to who this was, this is the living son of God and most of you are missing it. You religious leaders are crucifying him as if he is some convict and you hate him and you're rejecting the very person you're supposed to be looking for. Even his disciples running and hiding and the hits saying that even the, even the world was reacting to the fact, do you not see? What is going on and what God just did for you. The, the, sun, the sun failed to shine and the earth shook. Why? Because and the, the veil was torn and was split in sun, asunder so that God's presence could come to man and man could come to God. And we see that the earth shook. Now, the earth shook again. And this time it's again saying, in my opinion, it's shaking to say, do you realize what just happened? That not only did God send His Son, not only did God's son die, but he just rose again. He's now a risen Savior. And it says that on that third day that he, the earth, shook. Now let me tell you something. Not only was there Roman soldiers at that tomb, but I can tell you somebody else that was there that they couldn't see. Just like Elisha was able to open, ask his uh, God to open up the eyes of his servants so that he could see that there were spiritual forces that surrounded them. The enemy of our soul probably had his greatest soldiers there too. They were guarding that tomb. Why? Because the devil was okay with him dying. Satan was great with him dying because he won. He was okay with him as long as we found out just last week that 60% of people that's in the churches today, believe Jesus is just a good man. He was just a good teacher. He was not the Son of God. Well, let me tell you something. If that's what you believe today, you're sorely mistaken, and you'll miss out on the greatest opportunity that you'll ever have in your life. But we see that the enemy was okay with it. They were okay that if he was just a good humanitarian that did good for people. 
If he was just a Mother Teresa, that's good. Hey, talk about him, what he used to do. And just as long as you keep him in that grave, we're okay. But he couldn't let him come out of that grave. And so those demonic forces were standing guard much more fervently than these Roman soldiers. But all of a sudden, out of that eastern sky, no doubt, one of the archangels of God stepped forth and came forth. And all of a sudden, not only did these Roman soldiers quiver, but I can see that these demonic forces ran and screeched and ran back to hell and said, it's, it's happened, the very thing we were fearful has happened. Because as this earth shake, he ripped the door open so that Christ could come forth. And we see that that happened so that we could uh, know that we can trust him and put our confidence. Let me tell you something. Don't miss this verse right here. Let me tell you something. They didn't take his life. They didn't take his life. He laid it down for you and me. He laid it down. How do you know that? Luke 23, 46 says that, And when Jesus had cried on that cross with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend, I give my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He was in full control. He is the one who laid down his life for you. No one took it for him. No one. It says from, one scripture says from the foundation of the earth that he was the sacrifice, the slain, a, a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Not only did he lay it down, but he took it back up again. We see that in this verse, John chapter 10, 17 and 18. And Jesus, if they'd have been listening, they would have known this. It says, therefore, Jesus speaking, doth my father love me because I lay, that's in that is, in, in, in uh, looking forward, I lay down my life that I might take it again. So I have the power to take it up. I have the power to lay it down. No man taketh it from me, in verse 18, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. This is what God allowed him to do. Not only did he have the authority to lay down his life and give up the ghost once that everything was paid for, once all the sin for you and me was paid for, then he said, it's finished. I've done exactly what you said. I've suffered. I've paid the price. Every sin is washed away if they'll just accept me. And then he says, Father, I give you my spirit. He, he stepped off that tree and he died for you and me and he gave up the ghost. The enemy was, was screeching in excitement. It was over. Not knowing that victory just had been won. That he didn't know about it. Because three days later on that Easter morning when the ladies were moving toward that, that, uh, that tomb to, to put spices on him to prepare him for burial. The tomb ripped open and victory was won because Jesus raised himself up. Why is that so important that he raised himself up? Why is that so important? If me and you can't trust him to raise himself up, how could he raise me and you? Jesus raised at least four people from the dead, including Lazarus, while he in his ministry. At least four. But if he raised up Lazarus and he told Martha, we're going to see in a minute, that I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. And he can say that and he can raise up somebody else. But if he can't raise up himself, then we have to worry. Can he raise us? But when he raised himself today, we can trust him as our Savior. In fact, he took away the sting from death and the grave. Listen, I was reading a little story about a little boy who had a very bad allergy to bee stings. I remember my, my, my son didn't have an allergy, but he was terrified of bees. And when one get in, I remember one getting in a car, and I think he put dents in the ceiling. 
from hitting his head trying to get away from it. He's not here, so I can talk about it. So, uh, so I remember how terrified he was. But this young boy had a real problem. He had an allergy. If he got stung on that bee, he's probably going to die. And so he was, uh, dri- he was driving. Dad was driving. Little boy. All of a sudden, little boy is trying to doing this, trying to get away from the bee. Dad sees it. He doesn't miss a lick. He keeps right on driving. He reaches out, takes the bee right in his hand, squeezes, opens his hand. Bee flies out. The boy's scared to death again. Here the bee's flying around the car trying to get out. And the boy's trying, oh, Dad, oh, Dad, what's going to go on? And he says, son, don't have to worry. Dad, why don't I have to worry? What are you talking about? It's a bee. He said, son, he reached out his hand. He said, it left its sting in my hand. It can't do anything to you now. I've already taken care of it. And that's exactly what God did for us. We don't have to fear death anymore. We don't have to fear the greatest thing that we fear anymore because he's taken away the sting of death because this isn't our home. We step out of this life into eternal life when we know him or we step into eternal death if we don't. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 tells us, says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You used to have victory. You used to have a sting, but as children of God, we no longer have to fear that anymore. Hallelujah. Number three, he will never leave you. He, he will never, just because he came off and he's ascended to the Father, he le- we can see that he has promised to never leave us. Verse 7 says, and this is the angel saying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. He's saying to him, hey, this is exactly what he said he was going to do, and he's going to fulfill it. But let me tell you something. He didn't just come off that tree and go back to the Father and stay there and say good luck. But he's saying, hey, I'm still involved in your life. Hey, I'm risen, and you'll follow me. Just go forward. He's already waiting for you where you're going. We can see that he will never leave you. In fact, he's working by going before. Do you know he goes before you in your life? Do you ever get somewhere, and you're in a chaotic mess, and it seems like the world's turned upside down, and if you start looking closer, Close enough, you'll see he was already there before you got into the trouble. He was already there waiting on you. Deuteronomy 31.8 tells us that and says, And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. So what's the response? Fear not, neither be dismayed. Hey, what are you worried about? God's already there. Hey, if you get out, when I used to get out in the dark and stuff, and as long as dad was there, I was okay. I, it's kind of embarrassing to admit that now, but I, I'd be a little afraid of the dark when I was a kid. And as long as Dad was there, we was in Mammoth Cave and turn the lights out. As long as I was holding on to Dad's hand, I was good. Except when I opened my eyes and realized I'd let go of Dad and I'm holding some strange man's hand. Now, that's not good. That's not good. But he goes before us and you can put your confidence in him. He won't let go of your hand in the dark. <laughs> so we see that he's working by going before you. Also, he's working as your intercessor. You ever have an intercessor? How many of you all knew that mom was an intercessor? Maybe dad was your intercessor. I don't know. So when you had some situations come up, you knew which one to go to, and you pled your case, and they're the ones that went and kind of got everything taken care of. Well, this is even better. We see that it says in Hebrews 7.25, telling about him being your intercessor, if you know him, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, no matter what you're doing, no matter how much sin is your life, that came unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. Here's his job. This is what his job is right here, to make intercessor for them, intercession for them. He's your intercessor. He's the one that sees what you're going through, and he is the one that's responding to God to move on, their beha- on your behalf. Why? He knows what you're going through. 
It's wondrous to know we have a, have a high priest that, that understands our infirmities because he lived as we live, and so he is your intercessor. And finally, we see that he's working in your life. He's not left you. He's now working through the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, as those that have given their heart and life, he puts his spirit within us so that he can work through us through the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 and 14 says, How be it when he... The Spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost, is come. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear. Who's he going to hear from? That shall he speak. He will shew you things to come. He shall glorify who? Jesus Christ, me, for he shall receive of me, and he shall shew it to you. He's going to listen to me, and he's going to do it to you. Why? I'm on the right hand of the Father. I'm interceding for you. I've got the answer. I give it through the Holy Spirit. He's going to speak to your spirit what I'm telling him. He's going to lead you and guide you. What? God's involved in your life. So we can trust him that he rose again means that he's alive and he's involved in your life. Number four, we can have this confidence because he's risen. He will raise you up. He will raise you up. John 11. 25 and 26, this is Martha. She's crying. She's weeping because of her brother Lazarus. He's been dead four days. Four days. There's no hope. 30 minutes after, two hours later, they're still looking. Is Jesus coming down that road? They haven't seen him. The next day, they get up. Jesus still hasn't got here. Third day, still Jesus hasn't got here. What is he doing? He knew that he was dying. Why didn't he come? He loved Lazarus. He loves us. We fed him many times. He's our closest friend. Why hasn't he come? Because he wanted to prove he is the resurrection and he is the life. We see in verse 25, Jesus said unto her, what did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this. That three words at the end is the most important three words you'll ever answer in your life. Believeth thou this. Is he your life? Is he your resurrection? That's what he came to do. And that's what he came to pay. And he said, he's the one that will raise us up. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. He raises not only himself, but he will raise you. 1 Corinthians 6.14 tells us that. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his own power. The Lord raises us up. So he not only raised the four people in his miracles, he not only raised himself but he's coming to raise you and I. We can put our confidence in him. We don't have to fear. When the Lord comes back, he's going to raise us up and give us a brand new body. If we take our last breath before then, he is going to. We're going to step out of this life. And as Paul says, is to be absent in body, is to be present with the Lord, to be present with Christ. Amen. Finally, we're going to look at number five. Why is it important that he's risen? What does it mean to you? It means he is your risen Savior. He is your risen Savior. John 11, 25, 26 says this. And Jesus again, this is the verse I just read to you. Jesus said again unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this. Jesus is sitting there and telling her. She, he, she, he's uh, telling her to put her confidence in him. She has no hope. She's like, Lord, I know who you are. I know that you're the living son of God. If you'd been here four days ago, you could have done something. And he's telling her, 
he'll raise again. Oh, I know, Lord. I know he's going to raise again in that last day. When you come back, you're going to raise him up. We're all going to raise up, Lord. And then he answers right here. No, you don't understand. You don't have to wait to death to realize the resurrecting power that I have. You can know it right now in your spiritual life. I remember the moment that I went down to that altar to get saved and give my heart to the Lord. I was, I was alive in this flesh, but I was dead in the spiritual man. I was already dead as a spiritual man. We're born that way. That sin nature is born into us. Just as we know that uh, there's things that's born in us that we have no choice of. You know, have you ever seen a, a, a woman that's a drug addict and she won't give up the drugs while she's pregnant and having a child and when that child's born it's already having the effects it wasn't anything it did but it's having effects because of that lifestyle that that mother lived we are experiencing the sin nature of our parents our, our, our parents Adam and Eve the sin that they did is passed into us we are sinners at birth we are sinners and yet Christ came to give us a resurrection to give us freedom from that and so he's telling her I will raise you up. I will give you new life if you will only believe in me. So today, He's your resurrection. Today, He is available again today. The same Lord. See, for us that know Him, we know He's raised because why? He lives within our hearts. That There's no question in your mind when God has transformed you. From the moment I got down at that altar, there was a black-hearted sinner, not this altar, but another altar, but this altar's a good one. It's a good place to come to. I remember as a sinner running from God, I had no reason for God to forgive me because I had had many, many opportunities, and yet I had turned from Him and violently went away from Him. And yet I come back to this place. In fact, the enemy had told me, it's too late for you. You have no more opportunity. God's turned his back on you. You might as well just let watch somebody else get something because it ain't going to be you. I believed it. I believed it. And I was scared. I thought, I don't want to be this way. I, I'm scared. I was terrified. At that time, I just had one child. I've told you about this. Walking at night, picking my baby up out, Jordan, up out of the bed, the bed. A little baby. He, couldn't, he didn't know what I was even doing. I'm carrying him around. Tears flowing down my face. Lord, please. Don't let my boy turn out like me. Don't let my boy become a sinner like me and turn from you. Have mercy on my son. And I was so miserable. And that was God working. Isn't it awesome that God, that he, when he died, he doesn't look at you and me and say, oh, you're a vile. You're too hard for me to fix. No, he comes to you and says, see my hands? You're exactly who I died for. You're the exact reason that I've done this. Because I love you and I want to extend my... He's, he's drawing us. And he'll even draw today. And we see here that he says... I'm the resurrection in your life. You don't have to keep going this way. You don't have to keep worrying. You don't have to go to bed at night fearful for what's going to happen if you, go, if you don't wake up the next day. Fearful for what happens if that car comes across the line another foot. You don't have to be fearful anymore. If I get a disease, what's going to happen? You don't have to. Why? Because He is your resurrection in life. He is waiting available even today to save those that will call upon His name. I wish I could just stop there. But it goes on. But we need to realize he's a risen Savior, but he's also a judge. There's going to be those that sees him as a judge. Because we see that when he came and he lived and he died, he says, I've not come to condemn the world, but I've come to save the world, to offer forgiveness. But there comes a day when the door closes on that forgiveness. The opportunity closes for the last time. And then we have to stand before him as our judge. John 5, 21 through 24 says, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the 
Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whosoever or whoever does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him, truly, truly, I say to you, whosoever, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me shall have eternal life. That's awesome. But he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. But we see, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. God offers forgiveness and mercy. But the, what the, I think John 3.18 says that he's come to condemn, but those that have not accepted him are already condemned. Why? Because they rejected the mercy and the goodness of God. So today, this morning, we read of the fact that he is the, uh, 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 the resurrection and the life. Yes. There's nothing more exciting than the moment that you experience that new life. I remember as I got down at that altar, I was fearful. I, was, I felt ashamed. I felt conviction. I felt all the things that I'd done in my mind was just rolling through my mind. And I got down to pray. And I've told you this story, and it just it doesn't make sense. This doesn't, everybody can have a different experience. But this one, I think because I was such a vile sinner and just couldn't believe he'd forgive me. When I got down, I got to that point where I felt like the enemy was still plaguing with my mind and saying, he ain't going to forgive you, he ain't going to forgive you. My wife was right next to me. I finally just got to the point where I was like I was desperate. But then I said, well, Lord, if, you won't, if you're not going to do it in my life, please save my wife. And I started just crying out for her. And all of a sudden, I don't know what the deal was with that. But the moment that happened, I, I've never experienced this before or since. I felt as if I felt this refreshing, like almost like water running from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I felt it's like I could feel him wash me. I feel him cleanse me. And to answer to me, oh, I'm going to cleanse you. Oh, I'm going to do the work. And I even could just feel him doing the work within me so that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was a joyous ray of light within my heart to where joy was just radiating from me. I was a different person. Why? Because I'd experienced that resurrecting power within my spiritual man. All of a sudden, no more fear of death. No more fear of what comes later. No more fear of meeting God unexpectedly. But all of a sudden, life was within my heart. I knew that he had heard my prayer. I knew he had washed me clean. That's why he came. That's why he stayed on that cross. That's what he said when he told his father, Lord, it is finished. It is finished. I've accomplished it. I've paid the price. And your sin, just like mine, thank God that on the other side of Calvary, on that cross, is nailed a big piece of paper that's long and it's got a lot of words on it and it's got James Hacker at the top and it's got that big list of things that used to be in my heart and thank God that when I received and accepted Him that if you look in my heart now, it's now gone, it's now washed, it's now clean and He wants to do the same thing in your life today. Oh, if you, if you know Him this morning, you can today rejoice because of what He's done. If you don't know him, you don't want to leave and walk away. There's going to be one thing that every one of us will do. We'll all stand before him one day. We're all going to stand before him. And the only thing that's going to be in our mind is this. Did I receive him? Yes. Those three words that he said to Martha. Believest thou this? Believest it? Are these just words about somebody that died a long time ago? Or is this words about someone who's living today, even in this place, this morning? 
Hallelujah. If you would this morning stand and bow your heads. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sister Priscilla, if you'd come. This, this morning, with nobody looking around, I want to give you an opportunity this morning that you would give your heart and life to the Lord. Let me, let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have risen. I thank you, Lord, that you're not just a great story, but you're a great Savior, Lord, and that you loved us so much that, Lord, you stayed on that tree. That you would endure everything that you needed to. Lord, you bled and died and suffered and was ridiculed and beaten. And Lord, suffered more than anybody else just so that you could save each and every one of us. And Lord, when you said it is finished, there's not one sin that wasn't paid for if they'll just receive you. God, you paid it all. And Lord, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, Lord, as I've been praying, that Holy Spirit, you would move in such a way that God, we can't refuse. That we would see the love. That's greater than any love we've ever known from any person that comes from you. Holy Spirit, you speak and you have your way.